Welcome to episode 8 of the Atlanta Jazz Notes podcast, where we profile the many amazing people who make up the Atlanta jazz scene. I'm your host, Matt Miller. This week, I had the chance to interview the incredible pianist, composer, and educator Gary Motley, who is one of my favorite pianists in the world. His virtuosic piano work and captivating compositions have led to numerous recordings as both a leader and a sideman. Additionally, Motley is director of jazz studies at Emory University. Motley has received awards from the National Endowment for the Arts, the Great American Jazz Piano Competition, and American Composers Forum, ACF. Featured on NPR's Piano Jazz with Marion McPartland, his notable performances also include the premiere of his first orchestral work, The Artist and the Visionary, duo performances with pianists Dave Brubeck and Kenny Barron, and concerts with John Faddis, Eddie Daniels, Benny Golson, and others. Motley's selection by the ACF as an artist in residence led to his second composition for string orchestra and jazz trio, The Resolution of a Dream. He premiered his Highland Summit, a suite for string quartet and jazz quartet with the Vegas String Quartet at the Highlands Chamber Music Festival, and later performed his Sweet Odyssey with the ensemble at Carnegie Hall. In 2010, Motley premiered a composition based on a work by Toni Morrison at the Toni Morrison Society's 6th Biennial Conference in Paris. Recent travels include performances and workshops in South America and Cuba. Cited by his home state for his artistic and educational achievements, Motley was inducted into the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame in 2015. As the director of jazz studies at Emory University, Motley has developed the Strickland Jazz Studio, an interactive teaching facility that integrates the rich heritage of American jazz with today's technology practices. He holds memberships with the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences and the Jazz Education Network. In part one of our interview, we discuss Motley's most recent album, Tone Poems, his process as a musician and composer, artistic collaborations, and much more. Thank you so much for making time today. I appreciate it. Sure, sure, no problem. Um, yeah, so I just I'm I have a, we- a website and also a blog. Uh, excuse me, um, a podcast that you know features great musicians like yourself. And I've been wanting to have you on for a while, so I'm happy to have you here. Yeah. Um, uh, happy to do that. Yeah, I, I um, checked out the podcast. You've done some good stuff, man. Thank you, yeah, thank you. So. And I just just people who I really respect and really love their music. So this this works perfectly. Um, and I've been listening. You know, in the run up to this, I've been listening to all your albums. It's just been really a pleasure. Um, and I figured we just maybe jump off and start talking about tone poems first because that's a really beautiful album and it's the most recent one. Um, uh, sure. So if you could talk about the kind of the process that went into that and maybe some of the compositions. Um, okay. Just 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 sonically, it's really beautifully recorded. I don't know if you want to talk about how it was recorded or where. Um, it's um, uh, just uh, I actually recorded it here here at home. Did you? And um, the idea with it was to. Um, I've been playing piano for a long time and just mm-hmm. exploring some different different kind of colors. And just to you know, kind of give you some background on that, um, if you look at kind of every period in history when something has been happening, there's been a sound that's been associated. If you think about the turbulence of the 60s, and there were a lot of different sounds that came out of that in jazz. You know, you had Miles Davis uh, with his whole thing, um, his kind of vibe, uh, even, you know, turning his back to the audience in protest, uh, things like that. If you listen to James Brown, um, there was always a sound that came out of these various uh, periods, or even if it was a folk thing everywhere from from Joan Baez to, you know, to uh, Carly Simon and James Taylor right at the turn of the 70s, you know. 
there's always been a sound that's been associated. I mean, we can go back and look at World War II and, and every period there's been a sound. With everything that's going on right now, we don't have a sound yet. And I think part of the thing, we will look back at this probably in 20 years and we'll see it. But I don't think we completely have a sound yet because we haven't sorted through this whole thing and tried to figure out this mess that, that, that we're in. So part of tone poems for me was I have a daily ritual and that, um, that it's very brief. Um, I go to the piano for about two, three minutes every morning and I just sit quietly at the piano and I just play whatever comes up and whatever comes out as kind of a way of kind of getting myself centered before I go in into my day. So these little morning um, meditations uh, I've been I've been doing, especially since I've been home during the pandemic, it's not really new. I have been doing it for a long time, but especially during this, because it was my way of being able to kind of process all of the things that have been happening around me and how they they impact me. And so in that, I started looking back at the, uh, this fall and saying, hmm, I'm going to take a few of these um, that really kind of stuck with me or kind of stuck out and put that together as as just that, a series of, of tone poems. Um, several of them came out uh, and ended up being um, so song form, you know, like uh, Mist and Sojourner's Truth and uh, things like that, where they're a little bit more constructed and others were just purely uh improvisations i was wondering about that yeah because i know I, I like your as much as i love your piano play i love e equal amounts your compositions mm -hmm. and kind of what um yeah to what degree they, they were improvised and obviously some of them you could you could hear all those compositional elements where sure. it wasn't just improvised but yeah i was yeah. curious about that yeah uh with with mist for example um that that opening theme but I sat at the piano and uh, one morning, and it was there was like this mist across the you know um, um, the trees and stuff across from from my house, and I'm looking out and I see that, and that it just kind of inspired me to go there, and I just played this little thing and put this little conclusion to it, and then I went back and listened and went, oh, that was okay, that was kind of cool. So that's that's how the recording was too. So you would just kind of turn on the recording equipment and just see what happens. See what happens. That's great. Um, the other end of the spectrum was, um, uh, for example, the last tune on the album, which is um, "Breathe." Breathe, yeah. Uh, that was because of the George Floyd um, whole mm -hmm. episode, mm -hmm. um, and just our whole collective consciousness about just with everything that's going on, not feeling like we're able to to breathe mm -hmm. so i started with the single note and then i started creating all of these different tensions around it uh suggesting that you know this there's this difficulty and this challenge that i'm having with all of this and then finally in the end um uh, you hear that note against a chord that's really consonant and just kind of open and it just releases um and that was the fact that I was trying to go for was that in the process of sorting all of this out um, and then coming to this point where, in fact, I really could release and actually breathe. And at the same time, thinking about George Floyd and all of the suffering uh, that he did, that that's at the point that, that we lost him in our existence, that mm -hmm. he finally just let go and said, okay, I'm free. I can breathe now. And yeah. so the whole project 
was kind of cathartic um, uh, in a way, but just, you know, my own attempt at trying to sonically come to terms with all the different things that I have felt um, throughout the challenges, you know, that we faced and, Mm -hmm. and in doing so hoping that, okay, maybe I can share this with people and, you know, pardon the pun, but maybe it can resonate with them. Sure. And, um, and they can find something um, useful, useful in it. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I love, I mean, I really do love all your albums and I, I love this one especially. I was just listening to it, you know, all week. Um, and I do think that the quality, not just in that one piece, but just the quality of breathing in your, in your music, your music is so open. And so it has this kind of breathing quality. I don't know, I don't know for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. but just like this, this, um, I guess that's something you've, you've intentionally developed over, the, over, over your, over the years, um, kind of the pacing and stuff like that. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. So I don't know if you, yeah. I don't know what, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just think it just, you have this, this beautiful quality to your playing, um, because you have this amazing technique too that you can mm. you play all these these ideas, but you have this has this kind of pacing and phrasing that is really sophisticated. So well, no, thank you. I um the idea in that, and especially with this project, was um, exploring different facets of the of the piano, and in studying and um, studying piano, there are different people that I've heard. Um, you know, jazz jazz pianists, but as well uh, classical pianists. Um, I'm a big fan of um, of uh, Ravel, and so there are a couple of things in there that are kind of Ravel-like. I know people sometimes want to kind of have a something that they can kind of tie something to and go, okay, what what was, you know? And it was not that they were based on that, but just in terms of the sound that he was able to uh, to get out of out of the piano. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take this opportunity to to explore some of those things. So you hear, you know, this stuff in the bottom of the piano, and then there's this stuff that's all the way at the top of the piano, uh, and then there are these dissonances, uh, you know, that kind of clash against each other, uh, and then at another point, just playing as you know as soft as you possibly can, or, or just letting a note ring, you know, and just um, getting centered in, in that kind of sound. So, um, deliberate, yeah, deliberate in a way and just, um, deliberate in the sense of, of just exploring, you know, what those things are, what they, what they sound like. And I guess if I had to look at it philosophically, uh, again, for all of the things that we, that we deal with in the world, uh, it's kind of cool sometimes when I, I, you know, I take the dogs and we go to the park and you just stand there for a moment and you look up at the sky and you look up at all of this wonderful creation in nature and you just remind yourself, look at this wonderful creation here. Let's not get so caught up in our worldliness that we forget about just the beauty of our existence in the first place. So again, you know, I don't want it to come off as like this, this Zen quest, <laughs> you know, but um, but using music in, in a way, like I said, to kind of help um, make sense of, of our environment. And, you know, art generally kind of comes out of that, that experience. 
Absolutely. And so, yeah, just trying to be in alignment with that and uh, and see what happens, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that definitely comes through in your music. I mean, that, that kind of, it's, it's translated really well. Um, so I'm curious, in terms of recording, you have, you know, you have all these wonderful recordings. How, when, when is the time right to record for you? I know this year was kind of a, you said it was a cathartic experience to record, so that I guess that you felt compelled to record, but how do you go, when do you know the time is right to, to really put a, to record a project? There are some times when I will deliberately say, okay, I'm going to uh, record a project and I have a theme in mind or something like that. And then there are other times when you just, you feel something. And this was one of those cases where uh, coming into this year, it was not my plan to do a solo record. Uh, it was not my plan to really do a recording at all in terms of something that I was going to commercially re release. Uh, and as I said, in this case, it totally evolved out of these like morning daily musical meditations that I did and just said, hmm, maybe this is can be done this way. Um, I generally do, though, just for my own personal archival purposes, try to record something of myself each year so that I have a gauge of my progress. And some of those things uh, kind of make it, you know, out the door and others, they just kind of, you know, you put them to the side and you go back some days and, you know, you reflect and just say, oh, okay, you know, in 2017, I was in this headspace or whatever. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, if there's something that's really pushing me or making me feel compelled, um, when I did the record departure, that was about uh, moving away from um, doing a lot of the traditional standards and, and moving on into really focusing more on my original compositions. So it was mm -hmm. uh, a moment of growth for me. Um, Renaissance, when I did that record, uh, was kind of a tribute to Oscar Peterson. That one, um, um, I'm a big fan of technology. So mm -hmm. I was using technology uh, on that recording uh, as a way of tying tradition into where we are now technologically, um, but it wasn't it wasn't designed to be a hey here's my imitation of, of Peterson. I'm, you know I was not trying to go to do that, but saying hey let's take you know the 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 concept of the trio the way that that he uh, conceived it, and let's see what happens if you know we do this uh, virtually, so to speak. And I think mm -hmm. that was, um, so yeah, that one kind of got, I got mixed responses from people because it's like, wait a minute, you're, you're using uh, electronics and stuff, but it's, as yeah, but we're still swinging, you know? Sure, no, that's, that, and that was, you. That, that Renaissance is the one where you are, you're recording, is it all the parts? Yeah, are you? yeah. Is it, it does, and it's, what, what year was that from? That was maybe, I'm dating myself, maybe 2008 or so. I think okay. 2008. Yeah, because I was I was listening to it and it was like I was like, wait, is this really all him or is this or is this because because does it you would never know it has yeah. a, you know, and certainly you you have the ability to swing all the instruments. Yeah. So <laughs> I think one of the coolest compliments that I got on that project was a bass player uh, came up to me um, a couple of years ago at a performance and he said, "Man, I love that record." He said, "Man, that bass player was just killing." He said, "I transcribed all of his solos and stuff." <laughs> that is high high I, praise. I just yeah. said, "Thank you so much. I'll be sure and let him know, you know." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and, uh, oh, but yeah, that was the challenge. And that was trying to be as authentic as I could, you know, I didn't want it just because it's like, oh, here's a keyboard with a bass patch and I'll, you know, just go crazy with it was no, how does a bass player think? How does a bass player phrase? So I did actually what the kid did, uh, who mentioned it to me. Um, I studied and transcribed, you know, Ray Brown bass solos and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, Milt Jackson. Uh, for the yeah. vibraphone and sure. not trying to play it like a keyboard, but saying, how would a vibraphonist think about these things? So, yeah, when I thought about, you know, Peterson's trio with um, uh, one of the two classic trios with um, Ray, uh, Brown, Ray or... Brown and Herb Ellis. Yeah. That was one influence. And then uh, another trio in uh, with, um, with uh, Milt Jackson, you know, and just uh, doing that. And one of the tunes, I can't remember if it was, I think it was What If is the title of it. Um, at that time, uh, Ray Brown and James Brown had passed around the same time. And mm -hmm. so the premise for the composition was what happens if they, you know, they get to the pearly gates at the same time. And I got James Brown and Ray Brown <laughs> meeting yeah. up, you know, and they would, and they said, all right, to get in, you got to write a tune. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what would that sound like? And just, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> and pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but just little things like that of, of thinking about things in terms of genre, you know, and, and bringing them, bringing them together. So yeah, that record um, I did shortly uh, after Peterson passed and just mm -hmm. felt compelled to say, hey, this is kind of my, in my own way, my salute, you know, to to him and to all that he, he represented. Yeah. So- now, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, so it spans the gamut in terms of, of um, you know, when do you know it's time for something to be released? They tend to kind of, the songs can kind of take on a life of their own. They're kind of like your kids. And they kind of let you know when they're ready to leave the nest. Mm -hmm. you know? That's really interesting. I like the idea, because the, the notes in the album of, of uh, Tone Poems refer to your debut album. And like how, you know, so that idea of you recording yourself and kind of tracking your own artistic growth is so interesting. And I think that's, I mean, certainly it's a, a, plays a big part in being such a mature artist is, is mm -hmm tracking your own growth through recordings, whether it's stuff that's been released or stuff you just have at your house. Um, but yeah, that, that and you can hear, certainly you hear the evolution even from five years ago, the albums um, that, I, that I really love to, to today. I just, I just think it's, it's, it's really amazing. And that, and Tone Poems is certainly one of your, one of my favorites. So yeah, oh, um, yeah. so um, I guess, in terms of like you're as, as an improviser and a composer, what, what is your process like? I mean, I, I know about, you know, composing, you said a, a lot of it, it is a lot, a lot of it kind of flows from these meditative type improvisations. Do they all kind of come that way? Or do you ever sit down and, and take a different approach? There are different approaches. There are sometimes when I sit down and it's like, okay, I'm going to write something. Or I may write something based on something. Um, jazz musicians, uh, that process, is it's, it's gone on for a long time. There are different periods in the music. Uh, for example, in the late 1940s and 50s, um, jazz musicians wrote um, a lot of contrafacts. And what that is, is basically they would take the ch chord changes to a song like I've Got Rhythm, you know, George Gershwin's I Got Rhythm. And uh, Charlie Parker wrote like Olio and, and Anthropology and a lot of those tunes that are based on on the uh, I Got Rhythm changes. Um, and yeah, there you go. You have a new tune. Uh, Donna Lee was based on back home in Indiana. 
and they created these tunes. There were a lot of different premises uh, from what I've been told and what I've learned about, you know, what they did everywhere from getting around uh, copyright issues, you know, um, to uh, writing these these really sophisticated tunes that were kind of challenging for, you know, musicians to be able to play. But yeah, there's sometimes when I'll take a, you know, I might uh, take a, um, an existing chord set of chord progressions and say, okay, let me see if I can come up with my own ideas uh, over this and, and build it out from there. And then there are other times when I sit at the piano and I hear something and I say, hmm, let me, you know, let me explore and see, you know, where, where this, where this leads. Mm -hmm. And you record yourself often. Are you always are you always recording yourself just to kind of remember these things, these ideas? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I have one of those moments as often as I can. I try to get my little memo, you know, thing on my phone and uh, record an idea. Uh, and then other times, uh, like I said, with the, with these, the morning things, yeah, that's I literally sit down, I open the program, you know, and just hit it, put it on record, and then you know, jot that down for a couple of minutes, and then. You know, and I'll file it away as okay. This is Thursday morning. You know, it was slightly overcast outside and a little chill in the air. You know, yeah, and that's really interesting. You know, there, there it is, and uh, and I'll refer back to it. Um, so yeah, those I've, I've kind of uh, cataloged over the years, and um, every now and then, yeah, I'll just I'll go through and make a list of them and say, okay, that had a certain kind of vibe to it. But it can be. Um, exploring colors and chords. I'm a big fan of harmony, so I'm always mm -hmm. looking for um, uh, the next intriguing chord, if 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 you will, mm -hmm. um, and how how to explore things like that, and how to really tone paint. You know, I mm -hmm. love the idea of doing that um, and and exploring that. So different approaches. You know. You know, being a musician and and being in the music business, there are those times when you know the phone rings and somebody says, "I need this," and then so you have to put that particular composer hat on, and just say, "Okay, this is not the time to go off into, you know, my own little thing over here." It's like produce this thing. So then mm -hmm. you use the academic knowledge that you have about how to write and how how to arrange, and so you find a balance between, you know, these two existences: the one that that is uh, more business and structured and commercial and then the one that is really more artistic and expressive. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, at this point in my life, the artistic expression is really, really important. And I think because I spent so much time doing the other things to get to the point where I'm at, to now be here, it's like, okay, this really has to be about uh, what I'm feeling and 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 how things uh, impact me and move me. So um, it's kind of nice to let that come to the forefront, you know. Plus, I'm 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 this kind of rigid Type A person, which is kind of an oxymoron considering what I do, you know, as my profession. So it's like, how do you how do you be creative and you know you want to connect all the dots and everything has to be this nice compact little thing and it starts here and it ends here. You know, and it's like jazz don't work like that. You know, <laughs> you look at classical music and the people that I like, you know, from the French Impressionists to uh, composers from the Romantic period, they blurred the lines. Mm -hmm. You know, they were not in total stark contrast to, to Bach, you know, 
Um, and yet it's like, wait a minute. There are certain times when I now when we talk about bebop, you know, where, you know, accurate um, uh, constructs in terms of how we, we deal with that music to trying to be open and do, you know, something that's more like a Jarrett or somebody or an Evans or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now uh, at this point, really trying to, you know, say, you know what, just just be in the moment, be creative and allow the stuff to come out. Don't worry about if you hit a wrong note, there aren't any wrong notes, just, you know, let it be. Whereas that other part of myself would be like, that note just does, I gotta fix it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and just re- saying, take a deep breath, relax, it's gonna be okay, you know? The world's gonna keep turning. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. And, and it's, it's certainly, it's, it's interesting to me how, how you're, you know, you say so you're like type A and you have, you're very systematic, but you're able to use that system systematizing, you know, to create different files and really catalog the different moods of your compositions, but then you still have that creative element in there. Mm-hmm. I find that, I, th- I think a lot of people think about jazz as being like, you know, kind of freewheeling or whatever, but not realizing the unbelievable amount of, of like that kind of systematic process, you know, that how yeah. difficult it is and how it's how the complexity of it. Yeah, you know, and certainly you, you know, navigate that world really well, just like being able to, um, you know, blend the creativity with the systematic process to, to improve. Um, and is, is that, is that been, your playing, I'm sure has gone through the same process just in terms of, just in terms of piano technique. It's not something I know at all on the saxophone player, but, mm-hmm. um, and I, I would think that as a, you know, it's funny you mentioned Oscar Peterson, that's someone who's like, has an incredible amount of technique. Like you have this incredible amount of technique and, and how do you limit that? How do you, do you, you know, purposely put limits on that to kind of, to not just be throwing everything like in, in, into your compositions. I'm kind of curious about that process as someone who has this incredible technique, how do you not limit it, but how do you kind of keep it constrained enough to have, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, It does. It's gotta be a challenge. It does. I think you have to ask yourself um, in terms of the, what does the music call for? What does the music need? And if, if it only needs one note, then it, if we're talking truly about music and the creative process, every time you do what it is that you do, it's not a, it's not a time to try to prove yourself. It's, and in fact, it's not even about that. It's not any of that, hey, look at me, I can play you know, this, this boatload of stuff. Um, so really looking at the music honestly and objectively and, and asking yourself, okay, what does the music really need here? And if it doesn't need those things, don't do it. Um, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything other than that's what the music call for. If there are times that can allow for things or call for something that can be a little bit more complex and more technically adept, then having the facility to do that, you know, um, then certainly, certainly uh, comes in handy. Um, one of the pieces on tone poems, I even I went back and listened to myself, and uh, it was I think it was Sojourner's Truth in which I had you know the, the Ravel like accompaniment going on in the left hand, and I was doing little trills and things like that in the right hand. And then at one point I did this like flourishing run, and I didn't think about it. It was just like okay, this is what the music called for at that point. Um, and yes, at that point, um, having the technique and the, the ability to be able to do that uh, came in handy because I was able to express what I wanted to express in that. 
uh, at the time when I was doing it, it was not like, okay, let me, you know, do flashy run number 67 B, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that it was just that at that moment in the music, um, this flutter, it was like this flutter needs to go from here to here. And it came off that way. So when even when I listened back to it, and, and I was like, okay, yeah, that was perfectly appropriate for what was going on there. But it wasn't it I hope it doesn't hit the listener as okay. Well, he was just showing off his technique there. Yeah, I don't um, think it ever does. I mean, yeah. it doesn't for me at least. Yeah, <laughs> there's um um one of the pianists uh, that I I'm a big fan of uh, is a, a guy named Tamir uh, Handelman, and he mm. plays uh, with uh, drummer. Um, oh, it'll come back to me. But Tamir also has his own uh, trio. Mm-hmm. And in terms of technique and fa- facility, uh, Jeff Hamilton, he plays the Jeff Hamilton oh, okay. trio. Um, he's got major, major technique. Um, and he's one of my favorite musicians. Um, the reason why he's one of my favorite musicians is that technique is a means to an end for him. And he makes so much music that you don't focus on the technique, mm-hmm. you know, and then every now and then you'll stop and st- step back from it and just go, man, this cat is bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yet he brings you into the music so much that, that you get what it is that he's trying to say through the means of executing it that he, that he does. So I think that was, that was a big inspiration for me when I heard him uh, maybe about 10 years ago. And I said, I want to do that. I want it to be, I have this thing at my disposal. You know, and I want to be able to paint a picture. And if I need this set of colors, then I can draw from that and bring it into, you know, into the the portrait or the painting or whatever it is that I'm that I'm trying to create. Sure, sure. I think that's that definitely comes across. Thank you for listening to episode eight, part one of the Atlanta Jazz Notes podcast with the amazing Gary Motley. Much of the music you heard from this episode is from Gary Motley's 2020 release, Tone Poems. Make sure you buy a copy of this and all his albums. You won't be disappointed. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation coming soon. Please be sure to check out the website, atljazznotes.com, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help spread the word about the podcast um, to people who may enjoy it, so please do leave five-star reviews and also... um, leave a couple words as a review as well that really helps get the word out so thank you and see you next time